So he was looking for a hitman. To kill the little girl's father so they could just take the child. Exactly. If the father's dead, uh, child's, child's ours. My God, it's chilling. It's such an unlikely story that it's got to be true. It's, well, it's a, I always found with undercover work, the more unlikely or the more unobvious you sound, the more believable it is. I'm Andrew Rule. This is Life and Crimes. Today, we meet again private investigator, former detective Damien Merritt, alias The Kid. Damien, today we're going to talk about one of the strange things that happened to you working as an undercover policeman many years ago. I understand from what little you've told me that you once masqueraded as a hitman and that job came out of a very bizarre family situation where family members actually kidnapped a small girl. Can you fill in the gaps here for us? Okay. So, look, basically uh, it was a big story in early 1994 and maybe because it was over summer it was even bigger. Um, But a young girl, seven-year-old Victoria Talbot, was kidnapped by her grandparents. This was from Victoria and uh, she was uh, located by police in WA, Perth. When did you find out about it? Well, I mean, I, I saw the news and uh, I knew about the story and uh, most Victorians did. I think most Australians did. It was quite a big uh, news story. It was. Uh, covered by all papers because it, uh, you know, crossed different states and uh, ended up in WA. Initially, everybody thought this is a straight up and down kidnapping. This child has been snatched by strangers and it was a terrible sounding crime, wasn't it? I mean, as you know, Ruley, being in news for so long, uh, a seven-year-old girl gets kidnapped. Um, The grandparents at the time said they knew nothing about it. Um, Even though there were suspicions within the police, uh, obviously the public were very worried or very concerned that, um, you know, a seven-year-old child had been kidnapped. Why were the police a little bit suspicious uh, of family members immediately? Uh, look, I think beneath the surface, um, they knew that there were um, issues with um, custody battles between the grandparents and the father of the child. There was a backstory. And the child had gone missing one uh, during visitation with the grandparents. I see. So there was a bit of history. Um, what was the background to that? Why did the grandparents think they should... Um, you know, take over rearing that little girl. Where was the little girl's mother? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories involved in witchcraft, and um, there's right. a belief that um, the grandmother was heavily involved in witchcraft. Right. Uh, she's been called a white witch in the yeah. press and so forth. Yeah. Um, the the mother of the child uh, died of a uh, blood clot some years earlier. Yeah. Uh, well, shortly before that, um, but they were fighting for custody of the child and that they weren't going to get it. There was nothing wrong with the uh, the father, Peter Talbot. Um, they tried to spread rumours that, um, you know, pedophilia and things like this, which had no substance whatsoever. Um, so once they discredited him, um, failed, um, 
you know, they resorted to, well, let's just kidnap this girl. Direct action. Yeah. And where was this? Was this in Melbourne or in country Victoria? Uh, country Victoria. So the the Talbots are actually from Inglewood um, in Victoria. Um, past Bendigo. Yeah. So so up that way. I, I mean, I'm not familiar with that area as such, but um, uh, I think you are. It's a, an interesting spot. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. out uh, on the other side of the river from Bendigo. So it's sort of in that. People from there would go to Bendigo for, you know, major shopping and that sort of thing. It's probably a half-hour drive from Bendigo. And it's a very quiet rural town that's pretty sleepy and uh, the real estate's pretty cheap and the housing's fairly cheap. I, I believe Victoria's still there. I actually um, messaged Victoria this morning yeah, um, just to make sure she was happy with me talking about this. Yeah. And, um, look, it was actually <laughs> uh, quite touching what she what she said to me about it um she she actually thanked me again for playing a role in um right. this she, situation she was seven then she's now 30 or 31 um yep speaking of your role when did you sort of become involved and in, in what happened because it's it's quite a startling story okay so as you know i was a uh, full-time undercover operative yeah and uh we had our own little building that nobody knew about, and we used to get uh, jobs come through via the fax machine back then. Right. And um, so this is 1994. And uh, when a job came in, I mean, all us undercovers, there was eight of us uh, in this uh, place, um, would jump on that fax machine. And if it was a good job, uh, we'd try and claim it as our own. Right. On this particular day, when this job came in, I was pretty much the only undercover in there. Right. And it was me and the boss, Jack Blaney, who's uh, now a uh, commander in the Victoria Police Force. And um, the job came in and I said, yes, I want this. I want this so badly. Because I'd never played a hitman. And um, as you know, really, I'm, I'm not a scary-looking bloke. Um, and especially back then. What did you look like? Well, I was a young, surfy-looking type dude. (laughs) That's why they put you in that job. I've always said that it's what comes out of your mouth that, um, you know, um, plays the game, not uh, what you look like. I mean, I've met some guys in, you know, my career that I'd be more scared of that I wouldn't be scared of if I walked past them in the street, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Jack basically said, no, kid, Horses for courses. This job is not going to you. And it was just me and him in the office, and I bugged him and bugged him for hours on end, and he would not relent. He said, no, nah, this is going to one of the other undercovers that is a mean-looking f- And uh, so I, I rang all those other undercovers and said, tell, the, tell him you're not available. Um so he had no choice in the end other than to give me the job. And what was being proposed here? So the job came through that, um, okay, so the grandparents were called Milehams and the father was called Peter Talbot. Yep. The father of the little girl is Peter Talbot. Yeah. He had been married to a woman called Mileham who died. And exactly. The little girl. Okay. Yeah, so the the dead woman's brother was Patrick Marham. Yep. And 
he started asking around uh, if anybody knew somebody who could uh, kill Peter Talbot. So he was looking for a hitman. To kill the little girl's father so they could just take the child. Exactly. If the father's dead, uh, child's, child's ours. My God. <laughs> it's chilling. Well, it's, um, you know, it's chilling, but it's something that um, occurs quite often. Um, but, you know, if you don't have the underworld contacts, it's very amateurish and yep. it usually ends up uh, with inf information to police. Yep. And that's how we got the job because obviously the people he was asking um, were under police scrutiny for something else. Right. And uh, they said, well, hey, I've got this guy who's looking for a hitman. Oh, no honour among thieves. So Patrick's a bit of a, a – he's slightly iffy. He lives up out of Bendigo. He probably knows a bit about how to buy a half an ounce of dope or that sort of stuff. So he goes around talking to any crooks he knows and the word filters straight back to the police. Yes. And, look, you've, you've also got to um, – which it was clear through, throughout all the court cases, throughout all the uh, news articles yeah. that Patrick's mother, the white witch, yeah. uh, pretty much controlled him and the way he thought. And right. the order to kill Peter Talbot yeah. pretty much came from her. The, the mother is Maureen Mileham. That's right. Maureen, who's married to a bloke, either Jared or Jeffrey, depending which story you read. Uh, so they're the, they're the bad guys in this. Well, well, which spell you're under, really? Yeah, which spell you're under, exactly. Very true. <laughs> so they've influenced poor old Patrick, their son, to go hunting for a hitman, and he finds you. He ends up with me. How did that scene <laughs> unfold, kid? All right. The word came through to the office. So we had somebody contact um, Patrick and say, uh, I hear you're looking for a hitman. I know a person, uh, a person named Ben, and he can sort this out for you. So do you want me to put you in contact with him? And he obviously said yes. And the next thing I know, I'm meeting with him in a park in Bourne to talk yeah. about what he wants me to do. Is that right? Baldwin calling. So we had video and audio, everything. Like yeah. I think if I, if I search through my audio tapes, I'd, I'd still be able to find the conversation that we had. Oh, that's gold. What, is, what do you see and what does he see? Okay, so we agreed to meet. We, we obviously spoke on the phone and uh, we agreed to meet at this park in Baldwin. Yeah. And... Uh, I was there early, as you do as an undercover. You always make sure you're there on time. Um, but I kept him waiting for ten minutes because I'm the hitman. So you know, I don't want to. I want him to wait for me. You know, it's all part of the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I noticed this uh, tall, lanky guy. And when I say tall, we're not just saying you know six foot one, six foot two. Six foot six to six foot seven, Patrick really? Milham is. Yeah. He is huge. Even his pants were, you know, look, I, I called them uh, nipple tigglers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he pulled them up so, so high. Yeah. Um, but um, 
he was a very odd, odd guy. Uh, I've, I've got a photo of him. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I still laugh at the photo of me and him together. Yeah, so I'm, I'm five foot ten and a half. Um, yeah. And looking at the photo of us together, uh, yeah. in court later, it was, you know, obviously suggested by the defence that I intimidated him. Yeah. And, um, you know, to, to, to the jury, it was quite obvious that, um, you know, me being a short ass and him being so tall, tall. even though he was lanky, I mean, yeah. it was kind of ridiculous. So, Oh, that's excellent. And what, did, what was his demeanour, even though he's a great big bloke? Uh, what, what, what was he offering? Did he haggle? Well, how does this go down, this sort of conversation? All right. Well, you've got to understand, like, in a situation like this, you cannot be seen to be uh, pressuring somebody into doing something no. that they don't want to do. Um, you, you also cannot come across as intimidating, you know, um, because obviously the defence is going to be, well, I didn't want to do it, but I was scared because he's a hitman. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I only did it because I thought, well, he might turn around and kill me. So, you know, you approach it with um, basic questions. Patrick, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and um, I think his first words, um, I, I want you to knock him. He says that, yeah. Okay. And I said, well, you, what are you telling me, Patrick? What do you want me to do? I want you to kill him. I want you to kill Peter Talbot. And they were the words that came out of his mouth. Nice and clearly. So it was, went. Oh, very clear. Did you have a, uh, one of those old-fashioned Olympus tapes strapped to your chest? The old-fashioned Nagras we used to Nag wear. Um, yeah. But we also had audio and we had, um, look, we had every device possible, you know. Right. Um, and, and so it was covered from all, you know. He, he could not get out of anything that he said. Yeah, but um, what he started trying to do was, um, he, he, it was like he wanted me to think he was tough, and so he started telling me things. And uh, he said, "You know, look, I'd do it myself, but uh, everything's too hot because I'm on charges for the kidnapping for helping my parents." And I said, no, I, I understand that. And he goes, because I even tried to kill him in the past by cutting his brake lines. And apparently that did happen, I found out, you know, after the fact. And um, so, so he tried to build himself up a little bit. Put himself in beautifully. Oh, mate, you couldn't ask for better. You know, he's already shown that um, I've already attempted to kill this guy, but now I can't do it because I'm going to court for other charges. So I need to hire you to to do the job. So, um, you know, it, it was it, – it, look – the whole conversation, you could not have asked for a better conversation. And on my part, you know, because Jack Blaney didn't want me to do this job because I wasn't the, you know, stereotypical hitman, I was loving this because I knew that it was working perfectly, you know. And so I threw in, being, you know, a little bit of a smart ass or whatever, he asked me, um, well, what do you do? Like, if you get $10,000 every time you kill somebody, you know, what, what are you going to do with all this money? And I said, I'm saving up to buy a florist shop. 
And he started laughing. That's magnificent. What made you say that? Oh, just because I'm an idiot, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, but it's, it's such an unlikely story that it's got to be true. It's, well, it's a, I always found with undercover work, the more unlikely or the more uh, unobvious you sound, the more believable it is. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I tried that on, and when he started laughing, I stared at him, and I, I know that the stare I gave him told him, what the f*** are you looking, laughing at? And yeah. um, suddenly he stopped and goes, I love flowers. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. That, that's great business. Uh, yeah, I'll think of that in the future. You know, like he just – and then I thought, oh, geez, now I'm starting to worry that I'm intimidating him <laughs> to the point where he's starting to want to, you know, buy a florist, <laughs> you know. Oh, that is very funny. A troubled young woman, her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? Uh, I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. So the fee said, how much is this going to cost? And I said, well, it's 10000 And if you want extras, you know, we can talk about that. Oh, so what, what that the extras is when, when people ask you to kill somebody, um, they usually want uh, extras. And by extras, I mean they might want you to give them a message um, as they're dying um, they might want them to suffer. They might want, you know, something something special, you know. Um, I know it sounds like we're, we're buying something, you know, online and clicking all the boxes. Yeah. But he basically um, and his comments uh, were, can you tell him that Patrick was behind this? And then he said, uh, can you make him die slowly? Oh. And can you make him suffer? And I said, yeah, sure, Patrick, I can do that. And he said, but can you, can you make it that he um, still ends up in a coffin because I want to uh, spit in his face? Why did they hate him so much? I don't know. You know, custody battles, you, you know, you've seen it. People can, you know, hate builds up. Um I don't think Peter Talbot, knowing the uh, makeup of the, the family, the grandparents, um, the witchcraft, all that sort of stuff, really wanted to have um, much to do with them. And I think over the years, it, it, it built up to the point that it was pure hatred. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, an astonishing thing to ask for someone to die slowly. <clears throat> And then tell him who's behind it and then say, I want to spit in his face. That is, do you think, did he mean all that or was he just bunging on an act? No, he meant it. And, and he was willing to pay more? Yeah. So, look, basically I, I, I told him that I'd throw that in for nothing because that wasn't, that wasn't hard to do. You know, um, oh. as a hip man, I can, I, you know, I can spend an extra 20 minutes making him die slowly. Right. Um, so I, I, I said, look, 
I need the 10000 obviously, before I do it. Yeah. And he said, there's no problem with the money. And I said, oh, okay, when can I get the money? And he said, um, and this is what, you know, sort of startled me. Um, he said, well, Woman's Day want uh, the family side of the story and they're going to pay me $10,000. Oh, you're kidding. That's how I'm going to pay you. I looked at him and I said, uh, well, you're going to have to do that interview pretty quick and you're going to have to get paid pretty quick. Yeah. And he said, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's all under wraps. Um, it's ready to go. Um, so I'm just waiting on the interview. I'll tell our side of the story, all about the witchcraft, all that sort of stuff, and um, that money will go straight to you and you can kill Peter. Uh, the whole new meaning for checkbook journalism. Women's Day pays crook, pays undercover copper. What, what's the next step in this uh, in your sting, how does it unfold from here? All right. So you've got to imagine um, from a police point of view, okay, when is um, is Woman's Day going to do this? Yeah. We can't talk to them. We can't tip off somebody like a, you know, a news sort of uh, journalist or any anything like that. Oh, never. So, no. And um, – so, you know, it started stalling um, and I think we let it go for three days. Yeah. And a, a, as I said, police-wise, we've got a guy who's um, looking to pay money for somebody yep. to be killed. Yep. Now, I'm charging 10000 What if he can't get that money? He talks to somebody in a pub who says, I'll do it for 1000 Oh, yes. It, it's not like a drug job where you can let it run for a while. Um, no. You, you can't give it any sort of, you know, time or anything because, you know, I mean, if, if he had found somebody else, I mean, I'd be sitting here now saying, hey, really, let's talk about my conscience and how I feel about what I did in my career because yeah. I can't handle it. Exactly, because we got, we got someone killed. Of course. Yeah. So I pushed him. I uh, sat outside his house because three days had gone past. Uh, Woman's Day hadn't come to the party. And I, I slipped a note under his door saying, give me a call. And uh, he gave me a call. And he said, oh, look, I can get some money, but it's going to take time for Woman's Day and the interview. Yeah. And um, I said, all right, okay, I'll, I'll get back to you. And uh, we decided that, nah, uh, nah, we're, we've got enough to, you know, he's incited me to murder somebody. We've got enough for that charge. We can't take the chance that he finds somebody else um, or he's playing games or, you know, he does it himself. Um, so we decided to arrest him the following yeah. day, which we did. So, And you had a you had him banged to rights with the tape, um, audio that is. Uh, you presumably had some other phone chatter between him and his parents or something like that to implicate them? Um, no. Uh, look, I mean, there was enough with our conversations that we'd yeah. had today. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously we've spoken about, you know, the basic things. Yeah. Um, 
There was conversations over the phone. There was conversations about his parents. Basically, it was like he was hypnotic um, with what whatever his mum told him he would do, you know, and uh, she was in jail at the time. So he was going to visit her in jail. And it, it was funny because I even said to him, okay, Patrick, you're going to need an alibi because the first people the police are going to visit is you or the first suspect is you. Yeah. And um, I said to him, uh, your mum's in, uh, I think it was a country jail, um, you know, Ballarat or somewhere, and I said, you need to go down and visit your mum when I tell you that I'm going to do this, you know, and uh, that way you're on, you know, you've signed in, you've got a great alibi, all the rest of it. And he thought that was great. Yeah, and, and so, look, I, I had it all worked out for him. Yeah, and could you implicate the parents in this murder plot as well? No, there was nothing um, recorded uh, in the jails or anything other other than you know. Uh, I mean, it was obvious the mother's um, was telling him what to do, but we had we had no recorded phone conversations or anything. Yeah, like jail would make it harder, yeah. I guess, in that sense. At one stage, we had it planned with um, Peter Talbot that because uh, we informed him of what was happening. Yeah. Um, what was his reaction? Oh, he was terrified. And, um, you know, he was he was really scared of, you know, what could happen. I mean, well, that's I mean, fair enough. Well, of course. I mean, you could be the toughest guy in the world, but um, if you think that people are paying people money to have you killed, I mean, and and look through through my career, really, I, I think it happened about four times where people paid money to have me killed. You know, it, it's scary shit, and um, you know, because you don't know who's who and who's coming after you, or you know, um, these are very interesting stories. For another day, um, so have you have you gone undercover as a hitman on other occasions? No, they would never let me do it. Um, so this was sort of like um, a first for me, and uh, you know I knew I could do it. Oh, I'm sorry, whether that's ego or whatever, I knew I could do it, but I didn't look like a hitman. And we had undercovers that uh, would scare the shit out of you when yeah. you look at them. You know, yeah. but I was not one of those people. You know, I, I was more of an undercover that um, he's a he's a great bloke, so I want to do him the favour. I don't want to let him down type undercover. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you still had to be tough when you had to be tough. Um, but, yeah. you know, I mean, you've seen me, really. I'm not a scary-looking guy. Um, yeah. You know, I think... If me and you got in a fight after 10 seconds, we'd both be puffing and sit down and say, oh, let's forget it, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Victoria Talbot is seven when all this happens. She spent, yep. um, I mean, what happened was she vanishes from rural Victoria back in 90, earlier in 94, um, there's the pub, all the public knows is that child has vanished, she's been kidnapped, the police are suspicious of the family, and then someone in Perth, someone connected with the family, produces her 
at a Perth suburban police station. Is that how it went? They, they must have thought this is this has gone too far or this is too dicey or we'll end up in jail over this. So they've, they've ended up going to the police. Is that right? I think anybody who was involved didn't realise the traction it would get in the media at that yeah. time because it was, it was front-page stuff. You know, um, a kid goes missing, uh, he crosses states. Um, I think the grandmother actually turned up in um, Perth as well, um, Maureen. Um, you know, and it all got too hot. I mean, it yeah. was never going well. So, when did you meet um, Victoria? Uh, I've never met Victoria in person. No. So, about a year ago, I mm. got an out of the blue um, LinkedIn message from yeah. a Victoria Talbot. Yeah. And to be honest, um, the name meant nothing to me. Um, you know, you forget all these jobs you do. And it basically just said, look, Damien, you probably don't know who I am, but you um, changed my life possibly forever yeah. um, because of the job you did. Uh, it, my dad was Peter Talbot and, you know, and, and then, it, you know, look, I understood what job yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even to that, look, in a strange way, I get emotional about that because yeah. you don't get a lot of thanks in the police force and for oh. jobs you do. Oh. Um, and for somebody out of the blue, you know, 20 whatever yeah. years later, to sort of just say thanks, my life is what it is because of you. Um, Very moving. How did she know? That, I mean, she was only a kid then. How did she know that you were the undercover policeman? Was your real name used in court or how did, how did she find it out? No, no. It, it was mentioned in one of my um, books. So she's obviously found me through, through those books. Of course. But, yeah. um, you know, look, texting her today, uh, I, I've got to say, and, you know, <laughs> I'm not overly soft or emotional about things. You know, um, but, um, you know, like her, her last message um, when I said, look, is there anything you don't want me to mention? Um, no, because I, I thought, look, I'll give her, you know, um, the chance to say, oh, please don't mention my dad or, you know, whatever. Um, and she said, no, you pretty much you do whatever you want. And the last message ended, I'm pretty fine, whatever you want to say. Uh, it was a long time ago. And we owe you a lot for the role you played. Well, that's excellent. Yeah. And do we know if her dad, uh, Peter, is still with us? I believe he is. Um, she, well, he is because the first message I sent to her saying, listen, I'm going to be talking about this today. Uh, I just want to make sure you're okay with it. And uh, she said, I'll give my dad a quick ring and get back to you. So. Oh, that's good. Um, I noticed that poor old Peter, Peter Talbot, he, his house was burnt down in Inglewood just a few years later. And, um, and of course, that would seem very spooky and people would naturally think, I'm sure for a little while he wondered whether um, someone had deliberately done it as revenge, but apparently the investigation of it said, no, electrical wiring, just one of those things. Yeah, and I, I think I, um, I uh, messaged uh, Victoria or spoke to her yeah. um, 
in the past? And and she said, yeah, look, it had nothing to do with, and well, I think she, her words were that loser uncle Patrick. How much time did he do for conniving to get his own innocent <laughs> brother-in-law killed? Yeah, for, for that nice little crime, he got two and a half years. Is that all? Yeah. Well, so that would be sort of five with a minimum of something like that, would it? I, I think because it was such a, a quick job, um, it, it wasn't something that we put these huge amount of, you know, briefs in front of the court. It, yeah. it was pretty much a conversation on the phone. Yes, I want my, uh, you know, uh, yeah. brother-in-law killed. A meeting in the park, talk about how we're going to do it, payment, all that sort of stuff. Um, that, yeah, a judge, you can imagine judges sort of say, well, it wasn't an ongoing sort of thing. Uh, the judge did make remark, I remember in court, um, that he was under the trance of his uh, mother. The court yeah. understood the malign influence and that this, despite his height, uh, his brain wasn't as big as his boots. Well, have you ever heard of a clean skin looking for a hip man that ends well for them? No, I don't think it's um, – I think no. the, moral, the moral of our story today, Damien, is do not go looking for hit men because you never know what you'll find. It, it won't end well. Yeah, and it's not like you can ask for a resume so you can check them out or anything. Um, Hitmen don't have resumes or, you know, business cards or, you know, a background. Hard to Google. Hard to Google. Yeah, you take your chances, uh, people who want to kill people, because you're going to get caught. On that note, you're going to get caught. We will... In today's podcast. Thank you, Damien Merritt of Merritt Investigations. You've done it again. Thanks for listening. Please comment or rate it on whatever platform you're using. And if you haven't done it already, please subscribe. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman. A dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.